This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. All right, if you have your Bibles with you, open to Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to tell you right now what we're going to do, and you're going to think I'm crazy, but you've got to trust me. We're going to get through this. Uh, we're going to look at uh, three parables, three parables and then one story from the Old Testament. And I, there's a big clock back there. I'm keeping my eye on it. Don't you worry. We'll get through them. Uh, the first couple parables, we're just going to pick out one, one basic truth from each one and then move on from there. Now, uh, here in uh, uh, Luke chapter 15, we're talking about the, the, the lost sheep, the 99 and the 1, the woman and the lost coin, and then the prodigal son. And uh, we've heard these parables. We know these parables well. Uh, unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but sometimes there is a real evangelistic emphasis put on these three parables. But we'll look at the context and we'll see that the main point Christ was not making wasn't uh, evangelistic. It was actually about people that have gone astray. Um, so we look at uh, and, and how, how we react to those people. Right? Let's look at the first couple verses and we'll see that very quickly. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them. All right, so the sinners have come. Uh, uh, many of these would be uh, uh, Israelites, Jewish people that perhaps weren't living the Jewish religion. And uh, so they have, they have gone astray. Some of them were just unsaved people, of course, that, that are living the way they want to live. And Christ is ministering to them. And the, the religious people, maybe today it would, be, it would be us, right? The people in the church, the people that we think we are the great religious people. We are serious about our relationship with God. But these religious leaders were looking down at Jesus for spending time with these sinners, with the publicans. And so Jesus looks at the publican, or at the, at the religious leaders and says, Listen, I've got a few stories I want to tell you to help you understand something. And then he goes on, first of all, with the first parable. Verse 4. Uh, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So we can read this uh, parable, and uh, not being a shepherd myself, I look at it, and many of us probably look at it the same way, you have 99 more at home, right? What is the big deal if you lost one? That's just one more to feed. That's just one more to take care of. That's just one more you need to shave. One lost, let it go. But Jesus says, no, no, the, the loving shepherd wouldn't just let it go. Why? Because it had value. It was as, just as important as the 99. And so when the one went astray, when the one was lost, the shepherd went out and, and, and sought after it because it had value. And that's the one basic idea I want to get out of this parable before we move on. That each individual has value. We as a church, unfortunately, often um, don't understand the value of every individual in the eyes of God. 
right? It, it, it could be a lost person that we see on the street and we don't understand how important it is for us to reach that lost person with the gospel because we don't understand the value of that person. Or it could be somebody that, that was in the, in the church and uh, maybe that person has left the church. Maybe a family left the church and we look around and we say, well, we're still pretty full. And we don't even really think about that person that left the church because we don't understand the value. We think, look, we're, we're fine the way we are. We don't need to grow. Every pew is already full. Why would we need to, to bring more people into the church? The problem here, and it's a, one of the most dangerous words, I believe, for the Christian and for the church. We have become too comfortable. Too comfortable. We like things the way they are, and we don't understand the importance of bringing more people into the church or bringing uh, uh, ones that have gone astray back into the fellowship with the believers. We're comfortable. Verse 8 says, Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. All right, so we have this lady. She's lost the coin. And uh, notice that she didn't just say, and, and, and we do this with things that don't have value. We say, oh, it'll turn up. But because she understood the value, she didn't say, oh, it'll turn up. It says she lit the candle. She swept diligently. It says she sought after it. She put effort into finding the coin that had gotten away. So because she understood that it had value, she was willing to put effort into finding it. And again, that's where we often uh, uh, go astray, where we often err. We don't understand the value of the people that are outside of our church walls, and so we don't put the effort that we should be putting into getting them inside the church walls. Because we are comfortable, we have also become lazy. Our, because we are comfortable, we have become lazy. But Jesus Christ taught us something very different. If we think about what Jesus said about if a brother goes astray, what is it that we're supposed to do? What we do do, and this is true of, I would say, most churches, we say, well, I hope they come back, or, oh, well, you know, they left. What are you going to do? But what did Jesus Christ say? Let's, let's flip over real quick, Matthew chapter 18, and see what Jesus said about someone that has gone astray. And it's actually very interesting because if we, if we begin, look at verses 12, 13, and 14, we find here again the parable of the lost sheep. And what does he say right after the parable of the lost sheep? Verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So it's interesting that here in Matthew, Jesus makes the connection between the parable of the lost sheep and an erring brother. And Jesus says, look, if, if he's done something against you, don't sit back and say, well, he better come and apologize to me. Look, if he wants to come back to the church, that's fine. The doors are open. He can come back. It says, no, you go and talk to him. Verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So you go and you talk to him, and he doesn't really want to apologize. He doesn't want to get the relationship right. He doesn't want to come back to the church. What do we do then? We say, well, man, I sure did try, and that's it. But Jesus says, okay, that's great. You tried, but effort. He is valuable. Put more effort. Take two or three back and try again. And if he still doesn't hear us, uh, if he neglects to hear them, tell it unto the church. All right, so then we come back and we talk as a church and we figure out what are we going to do to get this erring brother back into the church? How many times have you seen a church actually do that? It's rare because we don't understand the value, therefore we're not willing to put in the effort that we should be putting in. So from the lost sheep, we see that each individual has value. From the lost coin, we see that we need to put in the effort to reach the people outside of the church. Not just sit back and say, we've got programs, we've got Sunday school, we've got Bible studies, we've got kids programs. If people want to come, they're welcome to come. Effort, going to the people and drawing them into the, into the fellowship. So then Jesus gets to the main parable out of this set here. One that we know well, verse 11 says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after the younger son gathered all, uh, gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. So he was tired of being at his father's house, he takes what he can, he leaves. He goes out into the world to live the way he wants to live. And that's exactly what he does. He lives, it says, riotous living. He wastes his money until he has no money left. Now, whose fault was it? It wasn't the father's fault. It wasn't his brother's fault. It wasn't the servant's fault. It wasn't the people that lived in the other country's fault. It was his own fault. So because it was his own fault... We would be tempted to say exactly that. His fault, his problem, what do you want me to do about it? He made his choice, now he's going to suffer the consequences. We go on to verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. I find it interesting that when he, when he got to the point where he was in trouble, his first thought was not, man, I'm just going back. I'm going back to, uh, next to my father. It was better back there. Why didn't he go right back to his father? I, don't, I, I mean, I, I guess when I read it, my thinking is he was just embarrassed. You know, how can, how, he, he left. How could he go back? And so his first, uh, his first thought or his first attempt to, to take care of his problem is to seek it in the world. He, went, he left the, the, the father's house, he went into the world, and because of that he suffers, but he keeps on searching in the world for what it is that he's looking for. But he still doesn't find it. And so finally we get to verse 17, and it says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. 
I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So it's only when he gets to the point where he has no other options, there's nothing else he can do, he says, all right, I'm turning around and I'm going back. And I fear that again. That's what we do as Christians and as churches. People, leave, people are out in the world, we see them suffering and we leave them there. And they keep going from one problem to another, trying to find what it is that they need, and it's not until they have no other choice they come back on their own. I've read the story you know, hundreds of times, but it was just fairly recently. I was reading the story, and I had this thought. What if, what if the father or the brother or one of the servants had gone out looking for the brother earlier? Right, what if, what if when, when, uh, uh, maybe in the household they heard about the famine where the brother had gone and the father said, hey, somebody's got to go. And, and, and the brother or the servant says, all right, I'm going to go and see how he's doing. I'm going to go and make sure he's all right. I'm going to go and bring him back home. But they didn't. He was left out there and he suffered and he was seeking, not knowing where to go until he had no other option. He already suffered so much before he finally came back. How many people do we have that were, were, were perhaps members in our church, uh, uh, family members that were saved, uh, even lost people that are out there seeking, and we just leave them seeking until they become desperate and come on their own? Why don't we understand the value? And why don't we put in the effort that we need to put in to bring these people into fellowship with God? Well, he had nothing. He had nothing to offer. There was nothing more he could do for his father. Right? His father had his riches. His father had another son already. His father had all of his servants. For, uh, uh, um, his father had what he needed. There was nothing else that this other son could offer. But he comes back anyway. And look at his father's reaction when his lost son comes home. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in the sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So the son that has nothing to offer comes back, he doesn't even get to finish his prepared speech, and the father just completely accepts him. He's completely restored back into the family, not as a servant, as a son. Complete acceptance and restoration when he repented and came back to the father. I love, I love seeing that, the, just the, the, the open arms, the complete acceptance. And this is where we begin to get to the main point of what Jesus was trying to teach them. Remember, again, the context is, hey, you guys are seeing these sinners, you're seeing these people that have gone astray, and you ridicule them, you want nothing to do with them, but you need to understand the Father still values them. And so he begins to, uh, to talk directly about the, uh, the, the religious leaders here, right? The religious leaders, we can see very plainly, are represented by the other brother. So this is kind of the, the climax, the main point of these, of these stories, beginning in verse 25. 
Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. So you think, man, that brother must be so happy. His lost brother has come back, and he's back in the house, and everything is good. But verse 28 says, And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as, thy, uh, as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry. And be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. So he really brings it, brings it home to these poor uh, uh, religious leaders that were standing there watching. Jesus is telling them, look, you're like this brother. You think, well, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm the good guy. I'm the one that's always doing right. I'm the one that's always coming to church. I'm the, always the one that's listening to, to the preaching and trying to live the way I'm supposed to. You know, he's off. He made his choices. He's doing the things he's not supposed to do. His problem. If he wants to come back, he can come back. But, you know, I'm not going to put any effort into it. And Jesus says, no, don't be like that. There should be great joy. There should be a great desire to see people come into a right fellowship with the Father. But we, in our society, in our Christian church society today, you know, we go out and we see people that are in sin and they are suffering. And we think, yeah, they're too far gone. Yeah, they have no chance to come back. Right, we'll see, we'll see the drunkard stumbling down the, the street. We'll see the homeless person that is, uh, is, uh, is stoned on the street corner. We'll see the, the, the homosexual couple uh, holding hands as they walk down the street, and we think, nah, they're too far gone. Yeah, they have no chance. Ah, they're not worth the effort, and we don't want to have anything to do with them. Or we see a brother that has, ha, has gone off into sin, has gone off into the world, and we say they had their chance, they made their choice. What am I supposed to do about it? And we don't put in that effort because we don't understand the value that those people have in the eyes of God. I had a situation in my life in, uh, in Romania where somebody actually hurt me. And, uh, you know, I was, I was mad. There was, there was bitterness. And I was aware of the bitterness. And I was saying, okay, I can't be mad. I've got to get rid of the bitterness. And I had heard somebody say, you know, if you pray for somebody, you have to love them. Like, you, you can't keep being mad at somebody if you begin praying for them. And so I tried to start praying for this guy. And uh, it didn't go well. Because... This was my attitude. My attitude was, no, what he did to me was wrong. I don't want him to get right with God until he's been punished, and then he can get right with God. I didn't want him to escape God's judgment. I wanted him to suffer for what he did to me. We have these problems. We have these attitudes in our lives. All right, a few minutes left, so let's flip over. I promised an Old Testament story. Let's go to Jonah. Story that we know well, but we'll see... Jonah was exactly like this brother, and exactly like me, unfortunately. So we won't go through the first three chapters, because I'm sure most of us know the story well. Jonah was told to go and preach in one city. He tried to run to another city. God sent a storm. He was thrown overboard. 
The great fish came and swallowed him up. The great fish then spit him out. And God says again, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay, I will go to, Gen- I will go to Nineveh now. Chapter 4, he gets there. Or, sorry, chapter 3, he gets there. He goes in, he preaches. He says, you guys are sinners. God is going to judge you. You're going to be destroyed. The people repent. And God spares them. God has mercy and grace on them because they have turned to him. And just like the, bro- the story of the brother, you would think he would be happy, right? Jonah should be happy. I came, I preached, people got saved. This is a good day. Chapter 4 and verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, and I knew, uh, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. That is not a happy guy about the revival that happened here in Nineveh. He's ready to die. God, the reason I ran instead of coming here is because I knew if I preached and they repented, then you would spare them. They are worse than me. They deserve to suffer. They deserve to be punished and destroyed. I didn't want them to be saved. So now Jonah wants to die. So here's what God does. God, in the following verses, gives him a quick illustration. Jonah goes out to the side of the city and sits there to wait to see what's going to happen. And uh, God causes the, the sun to be hot, a hot wind to come through, and Jonah's suffering. But what does God do? God causes a gourd, a plant, to grow up to give him shade. So now Jonah has the shade and he's, he's thankful for the plant. He's thankful for the gourd. But then the next day, God sends a worm to come and start eating at the gourd. It dries up and it dies. God sends the hot wind again. And Jonah again says, this is awful. Just, God, let me die. Just let me die. And so God comes to him in verse 9 and says, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest to grow, which came up at night and perished in a night. All right, so he says, you did nothing. You didn't create it. You didn't make it grow. You didn't even water the stupid plant. It just grew. And you love it. And you were so sad when it was destroyed. Verse 11, he says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six uh, six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. God says, you didn't do anything for that plant, but you're upset that it perished. How do you think I feel about the people in this city? Three score, uh, uh, six score thousand persons that don't know their right hand from their left. That doesn't mean they were stupid people and didn't even know the difference between their right and left. The idea here is little children that aren't old enough to understand the difference between their right hand and their left hand. Six score thousand little children that I created, plus all of the parents, plus all of the adults. I created and I love them. How can I just destroy them? You think you're upset about the plant. How do you think I feel when these people are going to perish? So God is telling him, look, I, these people have value. That's why I sent you, because they are worth the effort to get the gospel into their ears. It was worth the effort to get these people back in a right relationship with me, because they are valuable to me. I think often it's because of our pride. 
that we say, look, I deserve God's grace and mercy. I'm not that bad. I deserve God's grace and mercy, but they don't. They're not worth it. That's just our pride. God loves all of them and wants to see them saved. So like the sheep, each individual has value. Like the coin, they are worth the effort. It's interesting, at the the end of the, the parable in Luke, as well as the end of the story here in Jonah, we, we don't really get the end of the story, right? The, the, the father explains himself, and we don't get to see what the brother's reaction was. Did, did he say, you know what, Dad, you're right, and he comes into the house and joins a party, or does he go off sulking? We don't know. And it's the same thing here in Jonah. We don't know what Jonah does afterwards. We don't know if he repents and is, is joyous or if he's still upset. We don't know. But this evening, the great thing is, we can know what our reaction is going to be in our own lives. I'm hoping that this evening that we have a better understanding now of the value that people have in the eyes of God and the effort that we need to put into reaching them. And now that we know that, now that we have a better understanding of that, what is our reaction going to be? What is the end of the story going to be in your life? Are you going to just put it aside, not think about it again? I suspect with a message like this, God has probably put a specific person on your mind already. You know what, God? I know what you're talking about. I know who it is in my life that I need to put the effort into reaching. What are you going to do with that information? Are you going to reach that person now? Or are you just going to leave them out there, wandering, suffering, searching in all the wrong places? Father in heaven, I thank you for the love that you do have for us. Lord, I thank you that you saw me as a valuable soul, that you wanted people to put effort into bringing me into a right, right relationship with you, Lord. And I, I, I pray that everybody here can have that same attitude. Lord, I pray that you'll um, just give us the power, the desire, uh, and the courage to do what we need, that we know we need to do, to go out and to reach people for you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.